Welcome in to News and Views with Tom Lamprecht. The stories you've heard and the ones you need to hear. Hurricane Ian. The storm we have all feared. A monster hurricane. Dangerous signal from Putin. We've seen this nuclear threat. Big government socialism wrecking this great country. The commitment to America. A spacecraft ramming into an asteroid. 300 Americans will be poisoned today and die because of fentanyl. Putin's illegal annexation of parts of Ukraine. Your life, your values, your voice. This is News and Views with Tom Lamprecht on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right, welcome in on a wet and windy Friday afternoon. Category 1 Hurricane Ian made landfall in South Carolina down near Georgetown. Continues to push through the Carolinas. For the latest, we're going to go down to Ryan at the National Weather Service in Newport. Ryan, thanks for joining us this afternoon. No problem. Thank you for having me. Is uh, is Ian doing what you thought it would do when it made landfall? I just looked at the radar, and uh, frankly, the eye was further to the east than I thought it would be. I thought it would be drifting more to the west by this point. Is is it is it on track for what you expected? Uh, so we've been expecting more of a uh, continued northward uh, track with Ian at this point. I think the big thing was there were those eastern trends over the last uh, day or so, so landfall ended up being, uh, you know, pushed further to the east than what was originally expected a few days, even a few days ago. Uh, but as of right now, I kind of continue to expect that more northward motion uh, into the into further into inland South Carolina and into uh, central North Carolina at this point. Earlier this afternoon, it looked like uh, the eye would eventually make its way up towards Roanoke. Is that still the same track that you think it's going to take? Uh, so as far as a track goes, I'm still expecting kind of a similar track to what we've been uh, forecasting since this afternoon. Uh, okay. So continued north, like I said, a continued northward movement uh, at this point. What is the weather going to be like for the eastern North Carolina area over the next uh, 6 to 12 hours? Uh, so we'll begin to see more breaks in the uh, rain. Uh, I know we did have that heavier rainfall throughout the early morning and into the afternoon uh, today, but we are starting to see some more breaks as drier air is filtering in so that those heavy rain bands should begin to kind of ease off as we get over the next uh, several hours. And in addition to that, we do expect wind to begin to ease as well. Uh, we still do have widespread coastal flooding and uh, those river flooding concerns, especially with some storm surge washing up along those uh, inner banks, basically, and along the uh, portion of the outer banks with some ocean overwash. Those will still be issues through the overnight, but we do expect clearing conditions on Saturday uh, with lower precip chances as well across the area on Saturday as drier continues to work its way in. It, will the surge be so bad as to see some major uh, beach erosion? Uh, so we're still seeing just minor to moderate uh, beach erosion and uh, ocean overwash, especially along the north, uh, the outer banks at this point, and that's not expected to change much as the storm will continue to weaken, so we will see uh, weaker seas and uh, the winds will be on the downtrend during the overnight hours. I saw that the Noose River exceeded its uh, the concrete barriers down at Union Point Park in New Bern. Is is that related to surge or the wind? Uh, that was more related to surge um, overall. Uh, with that, we had that continued northeasterly wind, and with that continued northeasterly wind, we kind of had uh, water pushing up through the Noose, and uh, that was kind of the reason for it. So overall, it was kind of a uh, more of a surge threat than more of a, uh, I'll say, I guess, uh, the wind threat basically at that point. Uh, And that's why we had those uh, 
storm surge warnings out along the Neuse River. Now, what's the chance of uh, tornadoes? I saw that, that that is a possibility in the forecast. As the night goes on, does that lessen, or is that something that still people need to be careful of? So we still do have a tornado watch out until 10 p.m. Uh, the threat is being to lessen, but we're not out of the woods yet. Uh, just to continue to you know, keep an eye on the weather and keep an eye on the skies. Uh, but uh, it looks like by the mid-evening hours, uh, that threat should lessen enough where we would be able to drop the tornado watch. So what is most of eastern North Carolina going to wake up to Saturday morning? Uh, so it should still be uh, pretty, basically mostly cloudy skies, uh, maybe a few showers across the area. Ian will still be uh, inland across uh, North Carolina, so can't completely route that stray shower overall. But uh, overall, definitely improving conditions across the area. So kind of in that uh, recovery slash cleanup mode, uh, hopefully throughout the day on Saturday. Ryan, thank you. Appreciate the update. And uh, it sounds like all in all, eastern North Carolina has uh, maybe dodged a bullet. Yeah, it's uh, Ian's been quite the uh, tough storm to forecast for and definitely the one of the more interesting storms around the area this hurricane season um, across eastern North Carolina. So we're just kind of happy to help and hopefully everyone's uh, stayed safe across the region. Sounds great. Ryan, thank you so much. Ryan from the National Weather Service down in Newport, North Carolina, checking in with us. Uh, U.S. 70 is closed in both directions in Carteret County near Marymon Road. The State Department of Transportation said the road is impassable and uh, Marymon Road is east of Beaufort right before the crossing of the North River near East Carteret High School. And again, down in New Bern, there is some overwash uh, down near the Union Point Park. Some roads in downtown Newburn have uh, been flooded, not to the point that there's, I mean, right from the latest we have seen, not to the point that any buildings have flooded, but uh, do be careful. In fact, on the way in, there is a lot of uh, rain coming down, and so that little puddle might not be as little as you think it is. So just be just be real careful and use your, use your common sense. Uh, so all in all, it sounds like uh, eastern North Carolina is uh, spared from uh, Ian, it just uh, is a, a, a heavy rainmaker, some wind damage, some storm surge. And I know if you have water in the house, uh, yeah, it, for you, it's a big deal. But overall, it looks like uh, eastern North Carolina has uh, fared pretty well from Ian. A lot to talk about. We've got a good program lined up. We are looking forward to talking to um, a representative from the Heritage Foundation concerning the new prime minister, over in Italy, we're going to be joined by uh, with uh, James uh, Carafano, who is uh, the vice president of the Catherine and Shelby Cullum Davis Institute for National Security and Foreign Policy. Uh, this is going to be an interesting conversation because that prime minister is really a populist who is just a solid Christian woman who believes in faith, hard work, family, uh, she is against wokeism. She is against this transgenderism, and uh, she won overwhelmingly in Italy. And uh, it's going to be fun to uh, learn more about her and the Brothers of Italy, which is her uh, her party. Uh, we're going to be joined by him after the first break. The Hill, related to that though, the Hill is reporting that Joe Biden on Wednesday used the election of this new Italian prime minister to warn against Democrats being too complacent in the upcoming elections. And Joe, I think it's a little too late for that now. 
He said, quote, you saw what just happened in Italy in that election. You're seeing what's happening around the world. And the reason I bother to say this is that we can't be sanguine about it. We need to see what's happening here. I don't want to exaggerate, but I don't want to understate it, Biden said at the Democratic Governors Association fundraiser on Tuesday. Italy's far-right party swept to victory in elections this week and is expected to form the country's most conservative government since World War II. The incoming Prime Minister, Georgia Maloney, is a far-right firebrand, uh, again, this is from The Hill, and stoked fears among other Western nations of the ultra-conservative Italian government under her rule. Biden did not mention Maloney by name on, on Tuesday, but said that the Brothers of Italy party victory highlights why he's committed to electing Democrat governors. Now listen to what he says. This is really the, the key point of his statement. It's the reason why I'm so concerned about and so interested in and so committed to seeing that governors, Democrat governors, are elected. Because literally, the outcome of an election is going to be determined by how well governors run their states. Who's in charge at the time? You ready for this? This is a quote from Joe. How we count the votes, whether or not it's transparent, and the whole range of things, he said. You know, every now and then, these liberals, these progressives, accidentally speak the truth. Now, Joe doesn't know whether he's in or out, whether he's up or down. He doesn't know what group he's speaking to, whether they're alive or dead. But, yeah, he slipped up this time. He wants to elect Democrat governors. It's important for them to be in charge. We know who's in charge at the time and how we count the votes. Now, I I know all these mainstream media and all these liberals say there was nothing wrong with the last election. What are you talking about? There's nothing wrong there. And I'm sure they would take this statement and say, well, you know, yeah, we, he's, he's talking about counting the votes fairly. Well, if it's about counting the votes fairly, then why is he worried about having Democrat governors in office? Because the Democrat governors oversee the state board of elections? Yeah, just like in North Carolina, maybe that's why. I mean, if, if it's really about having fair elections, would he care whether it's a Democrat or a Republican? Wouldn't he want a nonpartisan person in there? No, he wants a Democrat in there because he wants to make sure that they can count the votes like he wants to count the votes. Can't make it up. Listen, we're going to take a time out. When we come back, we're going to be joined by uh, Jim Califano, and uh, we're going to talk about the new Italian prime minister. It'll be fun. Stay with us. More news and views coming right up. Back to News and Views, Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back in News and Views for a Friday. Katie Pavlich of Town Hall wrote just today, earlier this week, the global left was shocked again when conservative Georgia Maloney was chosen by the voters of Italy to govern as their next prime minister. She won by getting back to basics, God, individualism, pride in country, family, Personal identity not determined by the government or, she said, financial speculators, but by the individual. 
James J. Carafano is vice president of the Catherine and Shelby Cullum Davis Institute for National Security and Foreign Policy at the Heritage Foundation. Jim joins us right now to talk about the significance of this election, the impact it will have on Italy, on Europe, and the United States. Jim, welcome in. Uh, it's great to be with you. i got to say, the, some of the mainstream reporting on this was, I, I mean, just malpractice. You know? So, for example, you know, CBS said uh, the, the election of her party, which has fascist roots. And yeah. I'm, I'm trying to remember the last time CBS or N- NPR or CNN led with the Democratic Party of President Biden, which has roots in slavery. But of course, <laughs> they don't do that because... Yeah. You, you know, the, the, look at the party today, and you're right. Her her agenda, her party's agenda, looks like any candidate running in any red state in America would have exactly the same. And on foreign policy, it's actually quite interesting. Um, the, the the left in in uh, in Italy is very pro-China. They're, they're, basically, they were bought out by the Chinese. And and the far right is is actually pro-Russian. Hmm. This government and this leader in this party, they are tough on China and tough on Russia. So it's really their foreign policy again is is more American than many Americans. So in many ways, her her government looks more representative of of American politics. Than European politics. Well, let me ask you, is the fact that you have the mainstream media and the Biden administration vilifying this woman, is it because they want to bring her down or they want to bring down Americans that embrace a similar uh, you know, view of life? Well, I think it is a leftist transatlantic project because we see this, this mirror imaging of the way in, in Europe they talk about conservative politicians, whether it's in Hungary, Poland, Italy, Sweden or other countries, and the way we talk about it here, which is essentially, if you disagree with us, you're undemocratic. Yeah, that's essentially their line, and and they and they and they're happy to see the other, you know, the, the, because they think they're reinforcing their messages. Like we're all fighting the evil populace, and and look, uh, the the problem is the evil populace are not this fringe minority. There are a majority of voters in, in many of our countries. I was just in. Europe with uh, with a with fifty different um, conservative organizations, libertarian, you know, political conservatives, economic, all, across the board, and and these are fifty different very diverse groups of of of, of from, from different countries, and they all were fed up with all the woke stuff, fed up with climate change, which is damaging their economies and their citizens. Um, they they want peace through strength. And they want secure borders and immigration. Now, I can understand if you're Joe Biden how that sounds evil because you don't agree with any of those policies. But to say that they're they're illiberal or not democratic because they're they're different than my party, that's nonsense. We're talking to Jim Carafano of the Heritage Foundation about the new prime minister over in Italy, Georgia Maloney. What can you tell us about her political background, and what can you tell us about the Brothers of Italy, her party? So, so the the Brothers of Italy, the, the moderate, it's a working class party, and she's from working class roots, and um, and the party, and she in particular, 
have a very close affinity with American conservatives. They they've been to you know like CPAC and conferences like that. They, they because they're in many ways trying to emulate what American conservatives are doing in this country. Because on whether it's the economic issues or the cultural and social issues, education, gender, family, marriage, uh, life issues, that that's their model. So you know, for example, one of the rising movements in Europe is a, a conserv- conservatives in Spain, and their hero is Glenn Youngkin. Hmm. <laughs> they go, that's wow. who we want to be. Really? Yeah. That's curious. Let me ask you, is there a pattern developing here? You know, I was I was looking back through history, and I noticed that uh, Margaret Thatcher was elected in 1979. A year later, Ronald Reagan was elected here in the United States, and both of them had a great run. We just had Liz Truss elected as the prime minister in England and the turnaround, and Maloney's elected in Italy. Uh, we're looking at an election next month, and, you know, we conservatives hope conservatives do well have you ever have you ever considered i mean is the pendulum swinging back towards conservatism not only in the united states but around around the globe no i I think the short answer is yes i think we're seeing exactly what we saw uh in the late 70s and 80s and when we see people turning away from liberal and progressive policies because they just weren't working because because they, they had the reins of power and people's individual lives were getting worse and they were just fed up with that and, and we see the exact same thing. Ronald Reagan went from this fringe, you know, candidate to the standard bearer of the Republican Party. Yeah. Margaret Thatcher went from a, a working class backbencher with, with no connections to the icon of, of, of uh, global conservatives. And this is what's happening now. It, people aren't turning against the left's rhetoric. They're turning against the left's results. They don't see climate policy dealing with climate change. They don't see it deliver better outcomes. They don't see economic policies being better. They don't see their cultural and social issues being taken care of. They don't see their kids getting better educated, and they're just fed up with that. And 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 they've just broken up from the sleep of, of this liberal excuses or explanations or, or that somehow this is going to be. And they're just thinking for themselves. And 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 it does. It is. It is a. a, a a, a, a larger than 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 in part because we are seeing European conservatives connect with American conservatives because okay different country different politics different culture but but we see the problem the same way right and we're, we want to learn from people that are successful so they're looking at places like Florida and Texas and Tennessee and they're saying that's what we want to be right. This is what's going on in Ukraine today. You know, you, you know Ukraine was obviously was from free of the Soviet Union the cost of the Cold War, but but it was controlled by oligarchs and everything really until 2014. And it's just now that Ukrainians, you know, when they're fighting for their country, have woken up and said, you know what, when we win this war, you know, we want to be like Florida. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we don't want to be like Germany. Right. Well, it's going to be interesting to see the impact that uh, this probably cold winter in Europe has. Uh, you know, you, you talk about them being fed up with liberal politics and, you know, global warming and, you know, green energy. Uh, if, if enough uh, Europeans freeze their fannies off this, uh, this winter, it's, it's not going to bode well for the, uh, for the liberals. Well, we're already seeing it in the U.K. You know, they've gone after um, Liz Truss. 
because the first thing she did was walk in and say, cut taxes, increase energy supplies. And, and she was vilified for them. But you know what? The UK market and the pound just rebounded. So obviously, you know, the, the elites may not like all this stuff, but the people get it. Would you say that Liz Truss is as conservative as uh, Georgia Maloney? Yeah, I think Truss is probably, uh, 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 you know, we've had kind of three consecutive conservative leaders. She is, is more conservative in the, in the mold of Margaret Thatcher. I, really? I think she's the closest leader to Margaret Thatcher that, that's held, been in the British government since, since uh, Lady Thatcher left. Well, she certainly has better hair than Boris Johnson. <laughs> That's not a very high bar. <laughs> what is the impact going to be with both of these women and in their countries on on their countries and and you've you've already insinuated a little bit what the impact is in in Great Britain, but what it's going to have on the European Union and the other European nations? Well, it's it's going to create great stress because we've already seen the European essentially saying the same thing as Joe Biden. Joe Biden goes before a national audience and says, if you disagree with me, essentially you're not democratic. Right. And, and we've, we've just seen the, the president of the EU commission essentially say the same thing, that Maloney's a threat to democracy, that the Italian, that the, you know, they're, they're actually colluding right now, trying to figure out how to rig the, the Spanish election so the conservatives don't come to power. So they're, 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 they're actually trying to support the Polish opposition to bring down the Polish government. They're trying to bring down Orban. So the European Commission is consciously trying to change the governments in these countries against the will of the voters. And, and they run around saying, you know, we're dealing with threats to democracy. But what they're doing is this threats to their political power. And I, I think there's going to be great tension in the European Union because there's going to be a coalition of countries that aren't willing to just let Germany and France do whatever they want. And Germany and France are greatly weakened and isolated, and I, I, I don't think Brussels is going to rule the day as again. Do you see the European Union ultimately falling apart? No, because I think there's a lot of value to what the European Union does if it's stuck to its core competencies, which is basically enabling states to cooperate and work well together. What, what, what really injured the European Union is this, is this notion of integrating into some kind of super state and obliterating the will of individual people and and the super state not being run essentially by not like the democrats I mean, essentially the the people in brussels want to run government just like joe biden they really don't want to be accountable to the people they want to have control permanent control and run through this bureaucratic super state and I, there's just a lot of people who are just going to stand for that yeah yeah as you uh, as you look at the uh election in spain how conservative are the conservatives running there? Well, there, there are two conservative parties in Spain, the PPP and Vox. Vox is the, is the more, looks more like uh, uh, conservatives in the United States in the, in the sense that they're, they're much more committed to free market um, principles. Uh, they're much more concerned about the cultural issues like gender and marriage. Uh, and so... It would probably be a coalition of the PPP and Vox, and having Vox in that coalition government would probably pull Spain, again, much more closely to something like we would see in a Florida or a, or a Texas. G- getting back to um, the Brothers of Italy, 
my understanding is they won somewhere around 40% of the vote. Uh, for uh, people like me, I, I follow American politics, but I don't follow politics over there all that clearly. Is is that a landslide, or is that uh, was that a huge surprise and a huge oh, upset? Yeah, oh, that's a pretty big I – mean, this is a, a marginal party that's really come on to be a major force. Now, they, they, you know, there are about six, half a dozen major political parties in Italy, but um, the Brothers of Italy, in combination with the other conservative parties, has really taken a pretty decisive – Victory now. Who knows how long that'll stand? Because it's very difficult to govern in Italy, quite honestly, because there are dramatic differences between North and South. This Italy regional differences, a lot of internecine politics, a very weird constitution. But uh, conservatives are definitely are definitely be giving a mandate to reign. We'll see how long it lasts and how well they do. And what do you think the impact will be? And uh, will there be any impact? on American politics by Truss and Maloney both winning over there? Well, I think between the pressure that uh, Biden's going to get from conservative European leaders and the drubbing he's likely to get at the polls in the United States, the weakening, he's, he's going to face pressure from both without and within to kind of pull back in on the radical progressive policies. Let's see how well, see how well he handles that. Hmm. Jim Carafato, thank you, sir, for checking in with us. Interesting stuff. And when you look at uh, Maloney, and uh, I mean, is, is would you say she's sort of a female version of Donald Trump? Uh, way better looking. <laughs> well, I agree with that. Gotta go, brother. <laughs> I agree with that, but I mean, in in terms in terms of being a populist, in terms of uh, you know getting back to the basics of family, faith, yeah. uh, hard work. Yeah, I think, look, I think that uh, th- this is part of a movement. And I-, I don't know whether Trump's leading it or not, but he was at the definitely at the vanguard. And what we're seeing are leaders who believe many of the same things. But you, you see it in Glenn Youngkin. You see it in Ron DeSantis. Um, you know, in, a, in almost every, every conservative leader in the United States believes in family values, the working class American and fighting back on the liberal elite. I mean, I don't think you could be a major figure in American politics today on the concern and not believe that. Right. And that's why you, you, you kind of see like, not no offense, but like a Larry Hogan or, or a Mitt Romney. I mean, they may win some elections, but they're, they're dinosaurs. Command, yeah. They're not going to command the, the American conservative movement ever. Right. By, by the way, uh, what kind of uh, budget did Maloney have going into this uh, election? I mean, was she far outspent? I absolutely no idea. Okay. Okay. I, I do policy, not politics. Right? <laughs> You're asking me about her fashion choices. <laughs> yeah. Hey, th- I got to run. Uh, yeah. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate you thanks, checking in with so us. Always good to talk to you. Appreciate it. Your show is awesome. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, sir. You're very kind. James Carafano from the Heritage Foundation. Uh, find out more about Jim at heritage.org. Stay with us. More to come. Friday's edition of News and Views. We'll be right back. This is your Drive at Five, an ENC with Tom Lamprecht. Welcome back to News and Views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back in. Quick look at your weather forecast. Tonight, uh, thunderstorms followed by occasional showers overnight. Chance of rain is pretty much 100% through tonight. 
Uh, we will see some uh, end of the rain tomorrow, possibly see uh, the sun pop out for a little bit tomorrow with uh, sunshine and cloud mix. A high tomorrow of 77. Tomorrow night, a slight chance of a rain shower, low around 60. Partly cloudy on Sunday with, again, a slight chance of a rain shower later in the day, a high of 74. So uh, all in all, uh, again, as we said at the top of the program, we were talking from Ryan at the National Weather Service. Uh, we, we fared fairly well. I was just looking online. A couple of uh, piers, uh, fishing piers out down near Pauly's Island, have uh, broken away and are floating away in the ocean as uh, Ian has uh, made quite a stir down there where it made landfall. Uh, It is uh, September 30th, 95 years ago today. In 1927, Babe Ruth hit his 60th home run of the season. He held the single season home run record for 34 years until Roger Maris broke it in 1961. 62 years ago today, I'm dating myself here, But I can remember when this program first came on 62 years ago. Now, I can't remember if it aired. Believe it or not, it aired on prime time. And it was either Friday or Saturday night. I want to say it was Friday nights. But it was the Flintstones. It premiered on ABC 62 years ago today. I can remember as uh, my sisters and I, we'd have to go. It was probably Saturday night. We probably had our, our bath getting ready for Sunday morning. But uh, I remember hopping out of the bathtub, drying ourselves off, getting our pajamas on, and running in on our parents' uh, bedroom where we had a small little black and white TV watching the Flintstones. And, uh, yeah, that was uh, a part of Americana 62 years ago today. Lots to talk about. California Governor Gavin Newsom signed a law yesterday that safeguards access to gender-affirming health care for transgender minors. The legislation known as Senate Bill 107 was authored by State Scott, uh, Senator Scott Weiner, uh, rather appropriate name, who is a San Francisco Democrat. The law blocks out-of-state investigations into families who come to California to obtain gender-affirming care for their children. This includes puberty blockers, hormone replacement therapy, and sex reassignment surgery. Newsom reportedly said that the law is attempting to ban this type of health care for children, demonizes communities, and are an act of hate. Listen, this is an act of child abuse. And you're saying not allowing parents to have control of their children. This is ultimately what it's uh, it's all about. I mean, we talked about this yesterday, which what's going on here in Eastern North Carolina and how the fact that we have got these, you know, everything is is considered a secret space or a safe space where no one is ever going to talk about it. It's all private. You know, again, that is code speak from keeping this information away from the people who love these kids the most, the parents. And again, there are going to be lawsuits out the wazoo. I, I don't know how many years down the road it'll be. They'll probably start coming in in the next few years. But 10, 15 years from now, when these children grow up and realize what has been done to them. The Daily Caller is reporting the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases director Anthony Fauci and his wife saw a net worth increase of $5 million during the COVID-19 pandemic. That is the big red flag. This is unbelievable. This, according to a government watchdog group, 
between January 1st, 2019 and December 31st, 2021, the Fauci's expanded their net worth, their net worth from $7.6 million to more than $12.6 million. So while everyone else was going broke, while Fauci was shutting down businesses, bankrupting businesses, he was making money hand over fist. Now, this doesn't even go into the money they got kicked back from on the pharmaceutical companies. But what's really interesting about this is Fauci and his wife, Christine... This is your Drive at Five, an ENC with Tom Lamprecht. Welcome back to News and Views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back in. Quick look at your weather forecast. Tonight, uh, thunderstorms followed by occasional showers overnight. Chance of rain is pretty much 100% through tonight. Uh, We will see some uh, end of the rain tomorrow. Possibly see uh, the sun pop out for a little bit tomorrow with uh, sunshine and cloud mix. A high tomorrow of 77. Tomorrow night, a slight chance of a rain shower, low around 60. Partly cloudy on Sunday with, again, a slight chance of a rain shower later in the day, a high of 74. So uh, all in all, uh, again, as we said at the top of the program, we were talking from Ryan at the National Weather Service. Uh, we we fared fairly well. I was just looking online. A couple of uh, piers, uh, fishing piers out down near Pauly's Island, have uh, broken away and are floating away in the ocean as uh, Ian has uh, made quite a stir down there where it made landfall. Uh, It is uh, September 30th, 95 years ago today. In 1927, Babe Ruth hit his 60th home run of the season. He held the single season home run record for 34 years until Roger Maris broke it in 1961. 62 years ago today, I'm dating myself here, but I can remember when this program first came on 62 years ago. Now, I can't remember if it aired. Believe it or not, it aired on prime time, and it was either Friday or Saturday night. I want to say it was Friday nights, but it was the Flintstones. It premiered on ABC 62 years ago today. I can remember as uh, my sisters and I, we'd have to go. It was probably Saturday night. We probably had the our, our bath getting ready for Sunday morning. But uh, I remember hopping out of the bathtub, drying ourselves off, getting our pajamas on, and running in on our parents' uh, bedroom where we had a small little black and white TV watching the Flintstones. And, uh, yeah, that was uh, a part of Americana 62 years ago today. Lots to talk about. California Governor Gavin Newsom signed a law yesterday that safeguards access to gender-affirming health care for transgender minors. The legislation known as Senate Bill 107 was authored by State Scott, uh, Senator Scott Weiner, uh, rather appropriate name, who is a San Francisco Democrat. The law blocks out-of-state investigations into families who come to California to obtain gender-affirming care for their children. This includes puberty blockers, hormone replacement therapy, and sex reassignment surgery. Newsom reportedly said that the law is attempting to ban this type of health care for children, demonizes communities, and are an act of hate. Listen, this is an act of child abuse. And you're saying not allowing parents to have control of their children. This is ultimately what it's, uh, it's all about. I mean, we talked about this yesterday, which what's going on here in Eastern North Carolina and how the fact that we have got these 
you know, everything is, is considered a secret space or a safe space where no one is ever going to talk about it. It's all a private. You know, again, that is code speak from keeping this information away from the people who love these kids the most, the parents. And again, there are going to be lawsuits out the wazoo. I, I don't know how many years down the road it'll be. They'll probably start coming in in the next few years. But 10, 15 years from now, when these children grow up and realize what has been done to them. The Daily Caller is reporting the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases director, Anthony Fauci, and his wife saw a net worth increase of $5 million during the COVID-19 pandemic. That is the big red flag. This is unbelievable. This, according to a government watchdog group, between January 1st, 2019 and December 31st, 2021, the Fauci's expanded their net worth, their net worth from $7.6 million to more than $12.6 million. So while everyone else was going broke, while Fauci was shutting down businesses, bankrupting businesses, he was making money hand over fist. Now, this doesn't even go into the money they got kicked back from on the pharmaceutical companies. But what's really interesting about this is Fauci and his wife, Christine Grady, who's a bioethicist at the National Institute of Health, in 21, they reaped $900,000 in investment portfolio gains combined with roughly $800,000 in 2020 gains. This according to Open the Books Analysis. So my question would be, how much of their investments were in the same pharmaceutical companies that they demanded the American people go out and buy, get vaccined from these pharmaceutical companies. Which, and I mean, his, I mean, you talk about insider trading. Like, I, I, have no, I have no inside knowledge on this. I don't know where he invested his money, but I can guarantee, I, listen, I would be shocked if he wasn't investing heavily in this. I mean, this, this, is, this is beyond the realm of insider trading. So while everybody else is dying on the vine, and we had all kinds of stories we were going through at the time. There was a, a bar right here in town that had to close down because of the likes of Anthony Fauci's mandates. Speaking of insider trading, there's a representative from Virginia who's a Democrat. And by the way, she is in a very tough congressional race. What do Democrats do whenever they're in a tough congressional race in the general election? What do they do? Who do they sound like? Suddenly they love conservatives. Suddenly their values turn conservative. This representative is named Abigail Spanberger. Today, she has called for new Democrat leadership on Capitol Hill after top House Democrats scrapped plans to vote on legislation banning lawmaker stock trading. No, I'm not kidding. The scathing statement from Spanberger came one day after House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer from Maryland said a bill prohibiting lawmakers from trading stocks would not be put up for a vote this week. Spanberger was one of a number of Democrats in tough re-election contests pushing for a vote on the legislation. And listen, I have no idea if she actually thinks this is important or not, or she just thinks this is a winning uh, issue to put before the people as they go to vote. 
She said, quote, this moment marks a failure of House leadership and is yet another example of why I believe the Democrat Party needs new leaders in the halls of Capitol Hill, as I have long made known, she said. Rather than bring members of Congress together who are passionate about this issue, leadership chose to ignore these voices, push them aside, and look for new ways they could string the media and the public along and evade public criticism. Nancy Pelosi, Queen Nancy, who at first opposed a stock ban but backed the effort in February, had teased a vote in September. Uh, Hoyer, who reportedly was against the stock ban push, told reporters on Thursday that lawmakers did not have enough time to review the legislation. What a load! What a load of garbage. I mean, these are the same people. If they've got something they want to push through, they don't give you any time to read it. I mean, listen, oh, how many bills did they just slam through? You know, they release the bill at 8 p.m. and they vote on it at 10 p.m. and the bill's 2,000 pages long. And Hoyer's got the chutzpah to said, well, they didn't have time to read it. <laughs> and this has been kicked around for months. For months, momentum grew in both the U.S. House and the U.S. Senate to finally take a step towards prohibiting members of Congress from day trading while on the job. We saw remarkable progress towards rectifying glaring examples of conflict of interest. However, this is a blatant instance of Lucy pulling the football. Bingo. Pelosi responded to Spanberger's statement at a press conference on Friday. Listen to this word salad. Her bill is in the bill. Others had ideas too. And that's what the committee put forth. But it's good press because you asked a question. Now, what exactly that means? Listen, it didn't get a vote. That's the bottom line. Spanberger on Friday argued the House Administration Committee crafted a bill that was bound to be unpopular in the chamber because of its wide-ranging provisions. Quote, as part of the diversionary tactics, the House Administration Committee was tasked with creating a new piece of legislation, and they ultimately introduced a kitchen sink package that they knew would immediately crash upon arrival. It's apparent the House leadership does not have its heart in this effort because the package released earlier this week was designed to fail. They don't have their heart in this package because Nancy and Steny, and unfortunately all Republicans, can you say Richard Burr, uh, love insider trading. As long as they get away with it, they love it. And listen, Nancy Pelosi is the queen of insider trading. My gosh, how many millions of dollars has she and her husband made on insider trading over the years? Steny, I have no personal knowledge, but why would you be opposed to this? Why would you be opposed to it? I can tell you one reason why you'd be opposed to it, because you're making money off of it. We'll be right back. Back to the show that really makes you think. He is a genius. He's all-powerful. He brought a kind of heat. He could be the best. Just don't hurt yourself, okay? More news and views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Liberals hate Clarence Thomas. They hate him. They hate him because he's a conservative, but they hate him even more because he's a black conservative. And as he said in his confirmation hearing, they were out to lynch him because he was an, I'm I'm paraphrasing here, but this is pretty much what he said, because he's an uppity black man that dares to think for himself, dares to hold conservative values. And remember who was the uh, head of that committee? Joe Biden. And uh, those years ago, he was right. And you know what? They hate him all the more today. 
because he has held true to his um, this guy's my hero by the way but he has held true to his convictions they are out to get him and the january 6th committee which is nothing but a bunch of liberals even the two rhino republicans that are on there there's liberals they can be they're in the wrong party they were out to get him and they were going to try to do it through his wife jenny thomas so they were going to have Jenny Thomas in for a hearing uh, for her to testify to the January 6th committee on Wednesday. They delayed it by a day because they wanted to make sure that the big news of Ian didn't outshine their big news of they were going to take down Clarence Thomas. So Jenny Thomas went before the committee and much to their disappointment, she had an opening statement, and which she told the committee. Uh, and you know, there's a few people that leaked out the information. It's it's not damning information. In fact, it's it's very uh, positive information. A source familiar with her appearance before the committee told CBS News Thursday night that Thomas had delivered an opening statement in which she said she has never spoken to her husband about pending cases before the Supreme Court, calling that an ironclad rule in our home, end quote. She also told the committee that her husband is uninterested in politics, and she said in her statement, I generally do not discuss with him my day-to-day work in politics, the topics I'm working on, or who am I calling, emailing, texting, or meeting. She also denied that her husband knew of text with former President uh, Trump's chief of staff, uh, uh, Mark Meadows. As her attorney uh, explained, Mrs. Thomas had significant concerns about fraud and irregularities in the 2020 election. Who didn't? She told the committee her minimal and mainstream activity focused on ensuring that reports of fraud and irregularities were investigated. Beyond that, she played no role in any events after the 2020 election results. You hear all that. And basically she said, no, I never discussed anything about the election with my husband, Clarence Thomas. He doesn't talk to me about Supreme Court cases. That's ironclad. And I don't talk to him about politics. But listen how the New York Times framed it. The New York Times hypes that Jenny Thomas, quote, repeats false 2020 election claim in January 6th interview and, quote, denies discussing election subversion with her husband, now, what would you expect from the New York Times? In other words, uh, why, why don't they just come out and say, now this should have been on the editorial page. It wasn't. It was on the news page. But why don't they just come out and say, we think Jenny Thomas is a liar. She denies what the January 6th committee is putting forth as truth. And we know we got to believe the January 6th committee. We can't possibly believe Jenny Thomas and Clarence Thomas. Heaven forbid. Hey, our thanks to Jim Carafano of the Heritage Foundation. Listen, if you're driving out there, be safe. Don't go through any large puzzles. Puzzles. Don't go through puzzles or puddles. And we'll see you on Monday at 5. Bye-bye, everybody. All right, all right, all right.